lunch. That's what we like. I love a bit of rowdiness. Awesome. Wonderful. Wasn't the worship just wonderful? Absolutely amazing. And you know what? We've got plenty, plenty more of that. I am so expectant about this week. We, I really believe we are in for a treat this week. And so my um, firm advice to you is to lean in heavily. You know when you get a really delicious pudding, right? And once you've eaten that pudding, then with your spoon, if you're anything like me, you go around the plates, yeah? And you get every last scrap. And then when no one's looking, if you are anything like me, you get your finger and then you lick all the way around as well. Anyone else do that? Yeah, brilliant. Okay, that's my recommendation for you to do this week. Get every ounce of what God has for you. In the meetings, as we worship, as we minister to one another, as we are having coffee over dinner, over a gin and tonic, whatever it is, God has got a word for each and every one of us. And so let's lean into that. Okay, wonderful. Why don't we pray? Why do, oh, and before we do that, I'd like to say hi to those on live stream as well. Hopefully, should we give them away? We love you. It's a shame you can't be here, but hopefully you can see us and you will get this. So, brilliant. Okay, why don't we pray? Lord, we simply want to ask for you to speak tonight. We simply want to ask for you to come and for you to take these words that are on this, these pieces of paper and bring them to life. Lord, that you would plant seeds, that you would bear fruit, that your spirit would minister, your spirit would come, your spirit would bring freedom, liberty, We want to be hungry for you, Lord. And so we say on night one, could we have a double portion? Please, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. So there's these moments in our lives, these big and small moments that happen on a regular basis in our everyday lives where we're faced with two options. We're faced with the option of pressing forward or holding back of leaning in or staying still, of running or running away, risking it all or staying exactly where we are, of letting go of control or holding on really tightly to it. And for most of us in this room, we are likely to be in one of those moments already. We're likely to be facing something like that in our lives. And we're likely probably to be in one of three places tonight. We're either smack bang in the middle of something, we're either about to head into something, or we're coming out the other side of something. And it's in these particular times that God, he really, really wants to come and be around us. He really, really wants to come and move in close to us because he wants to be known. He wants to reveal every detail of who he is to us. He wants to show us 
his kingdom, his power, his splendor. He also wants to reveal his love, his care, his tenderness to us. And it's in these times, irrespective of if we are slap bang in the middle of something, we're about to head into something, or we're coming out the other side of something that we have a decision to make. Is fear going to win? Or is faith going to win? And sometimes, sometimes what happens is faith wins. And we can feel faith rising up in us as we press in, we push forward, we say that yes. And the more that we agree and we partner in the Lord and we move in that direction, the more that faith rises in us. And then other times, what happens is fear starts to rise. And it keeps on rising. And it keeps on rising. And what it does is it paralyzes us. It stops us from doing the things that the Lord is calling us to do. It holds us back. Somehow what it does, it messes with our thoughts, our vision, our hearing. It's like a black fog that paralyzes us where we can't speak clearly. We can't see clearly. We don't know what's truth and what isn't. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, you'll probably find yourself living more in the latter. Too often, we live with more fear than faith. Where we doubt and we second guess our gifting, our calling, we question our ability, we say to the Lord, I am so unworthy to do what you are asking me to do. I can't do this. I can't fulfill what you are calling me to do. We struggle with fear surrounding our capabilities, our insecurities, and our calling. And you know, nine times out of ten, I think we end up opening a well-known door, the door of comparison. And we start walking down that road of comparison. And what do we find? that the whisper of fear is confirmed as we walk down that road of comparison. Fear, it keeps us back. It keeps us stuck. It stops us from pressing in, from moving forward, from going deeper, from being more vulnerable, risking, taking those steps, saying that yes. And I wonder what would happen if fear was downgraded in our lives. What would happen if fear lost its grip over us? Because the reality is that none of us want to allow fear to stop us from pressing forward. None of us want to allow fear to stop us from reaching higher, loving deeper. None of us want to stop fear from showing weakness and revealing our pain and our vulnerability. And I don't want fear to stop me from hiding my insecurities or allowing the sometimes the negative rhetoric that goes around in my head to become a false truth that my heart believes. I don't want that. And so on night one of our WE conference, under this year's conference theme of your will be done, I want us to look at what would it look like for us as individuals? What would it look like for us as, as we 
vineyard family, a vineyard movement, to be a people who have more faith and less fear in our lives? What would it look like for Jesus to say, come, and we obey? What would it look like for Jesus to say, come, and we immediately come? What would it look like for Jesus to say, come, and we lay everything down, and we go to him? What would it look like for Jesus to say, come, and we take that step of faith into the unknown? What would it look like for Jesus to say, come, and we release control? I think that one of the greatest threats to Christianity in Scotland right now is that we, the church, will fail to will fail to see that our identity in Jesus and the calling that God has placed on our lives is not under an external threat, but under an internal one. Because you can bet your bottom dollar that the enemy does not want to see a church that is fearless. Rather, he wants to see a church that is fearful. He doesn't want to see a church that is moving forward. He wants to see a church that is stuck. He doesn't want a see, to see a church that is ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit, that is reaching the poor, that is sharing the gospel, that is taking risks. That in our weakness is stepping out in faith. He doesn't want to see that. He wants to see a church that is full of fear, that is insecure. He wants to get us in a place so that we are no longer a threat to him. People, it is fear that the enemy will use more than anything else in our lives to cripple and disable us from doing the things that God has called us to do. And, and this issue of fear is so important to the Lord that over 300 times in his word, over and over, in different ways, at different times, he speaks to his people and he says, fear not. Fear not for I am with you. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Be fearless. Fear not. I am your God. Fear not. I will strengthen you and I will help you. And you know what? God wants to say exactly the same to us tonight. And it was so important and so critical to him that when it came to the New Testament, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to this young guy, Timothy. And at the very beginning of his letter, he said, Timothy, there's something I really, really, really want you to know. Something that is crucial. Something that you need to remember. You need to live your life by. God has not given you, Timothy, a spirit of fear. Instead, he has given you a spirit, a power of love and of self-discipline. Our God, he gives us lots and lots of gifts. Amazing gifts. You know, for some of us this week, I think God's going to give us some new gifts. I always feel like we're like um, treasure troves, you know? We're walking treasure troves. We've got no idea the gifts that God has planted in us, the gifts that are within us. And I pray, my prayer this week is that for some of us, we'll experience new gifts. He will show us the gifting that he's already put in us that we're oblivious of. But you know what? God will never give you a gift of fear. 
He will never, ever take fear, wrap it up, put a nice red bow in it, and hand it to you. Our God will never give you fear. And so tonight, I want us to look in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're looking at a really well-known story, a story where Peter, he deals with some fear. And I think there's some things that we can learn from Peter. And we're looking at where Peter and Jesus, they walk on water. And so we're in Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read from verse 22. So it's going to come up on the screen, I hope, because Chuck did my PowerPoint. So I hope it is. Yeah, yeah, good old Chuck. Good old Chuck. Well done. Oh, sorry. Young Chuck. (laughs) Young Chuck. Okay, right. Here we go. So from verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Amen. Amen. So, just before this, Jesus has just performed an incredible miracle. He has been feeding the 5,000. It's probably much more than that. Uh, 5,000 men were accounted for, but there would have been men, women, and children. So maybe 15,000 people Jesus has fed. And he's fed them with five small loaves and two little fish. And um, like little pitters, you know, tiny, tiny little bits of bread. And the disciples, they have been part of this miracle. They haven't just observed it. They have been part of it. They've been slap bang right in the middle of this unbelievable, mind-blowing miracle. And then, immediately after, Jesus, he dismisses the crowd and he says to the disciples, okay, you get in the boat and I'm going to dismiss the crowd and I'm going up onto the mountainside because I am going to be alone and I'm going to pray. Now, in two out of the three accounts of this story, in Matthew, Mark, and John, both in Matthew and Mark's account, there is this one small word. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. So here's Jesus, and he is 
forcing. He is compelling. He is urging. He is making the disciples get into the boat. I have to confess that I have never seen this in this well-known passage. I've never seen that before. Because this passage is always about getting out of the boat, right? But yet here, Jesus is making the disciples get into the boat. So why did Jesus make the disciples get into the boat? Maybe it was because they were tired. You know, they had been out all day ministering with Jesus. They were exhausted. They did not want to go and cross the lake. They knew it was going to be arduous. They didn't have the energy. Maybe it was because Jesus wasn't going to be with them. Jesus was staying behind to pray. And they didn't want to go where Jesus wasn't. They wanted to be with him. Or maybe it was because they're fishermen. And they're really, they're really good at seeing when weather changes. They're really good at knowing when a storm is coming. And maybe they could see the waves just starting to get a bit choppier. Maybe they could see the wind just started to pick up a bit. And they did not want to head into a storm without Jesus. They didn't want to get into a boat. They didn't want to do it. It was too dangerous. They didn't want to do it at the crossing. Point number one, be a people who always get in the boat. Who always get in the boat. Even when getting into the boat is just as difficult sometimes as getting out of it, always be a people who get in the boat. And here's what I love about the disciples. Even though Jesus had to make them get in the boat, they still got in the boat. They still got in the boat. They got in the boat knowing they were going to face a storm. Church, please don't ever underestimate the power of getting into the boat. Because sometimes it takes as much faith to get into the boat as it does to get out of it. And you know what? We can never, we can't ever get out of a boat that we've never gotten into in the first place. Hey? We can never have those walking on water moments with Jesus if we spend our entire life on the shore. We won't ever see our faith rise and fear fall if we always make the decision to stay on dry land. And for some people here, I believe that this is a word for you tonight. I believe that the Lord is saying to you, it's time to get in the boat. It's time to get in the boat. And for some of us here, I believe that the word for you is, it's time to get back in the boat. Because for whatever reason, you've been out, you've been out at sea, you've been going through some choppy waters, maybe you've faced a storm or two, and you're back on dry land. And now the thought of getting back in the boat again and going back out there, you're not too crazy about. And I believe that the Lord is saying to you tonight, get back in the boat. You see, it's time to step into all that God is calling you to do. And I mean plant both feet well and truly in the boat. You can't have one foot on the shore and one foot in the boat. You're going to end up like this. You can't go very far like this, can you? And it's pretty uncomfortable. 
to plant both feet well and truly in the boat. Allow the Holy Spirit to grow and rise up faith that he has given you. It is within you. Allow him to rise up that faith so that you can say yes to him again. Yes to his call. Yes to his will, despite the storm of insecurity that maybe is enveloping you right now, despite the fear of failure, maybe howling around you all the time, despite the waves and unworthiness crashing over you, despite the pain that you're going through, despite the insecurities that you feel, it is time to get into the boat. And all of us in this room know that following Jesus is not often an easy thing to do, right? It's not easy. Sometimes it can feel like the whole of the world, the whole of nature is opposing us, is against us, is stopping us from following him and doing his will. But do his will anyway. Step into the storm anyway. Get into the boat anyway. Push off from the shore anyway. For God has not given you a spirit of fear. But he has given you a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And so the disciples, in their obedience to Jesus, they're in the boat. And they are struggling they're struggling in the boat. They're struggling because the storm has come and it is raging and they are being pounded. They are being battered by this storm. It's pitch black. We know it's not yet dawn, so it's dark. The wind is blowing a gale. The boat is rising and falling. The rain is pounding them. It's pitch black and Jesus comes to them. Verse 24. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him on, walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So for hours, the disciples, they had been struggling in this boat by themselves. They've been struggling against the power of the storm. They would have felt exhausted. They would have felt probably alone. Maybe they are questioning, where are you, Jesus? Where are you when we need you? We've left you. We've left you on dry land and we need you. I mean, how often have we cried out to the Lord, where are you, Lord? How often have we prayed that prayer? Where are you? I need you. Come, Lord. And then suddenly, there is Jesus. Jesus appears when they least expect him. There he is. And Jesus comes to them. And here's the thing, right? The disciples, less than 24 hours before, they have been with Jesus. They have just seen Jesus perform this absolute mind-blowing miracle. And they see a figure walking on the lake. Not once are they whispering to themselves, do you think it might be Jesus? Do you think that could be Jesus? Jesus is um, amazing. He's miraculous. He could easily do that. No, 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 no. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. They do not consider it could be 
Jesus. Instead, they're in fear because they believe it's a ghost. And Jesus comes to them, verse 27, and he says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I love those words. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I think some of us need to hear those words tonight. Let those words just settle right in your spirit right now. Lord, seal it in. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So um, a couple of weeks ago now, a week and a half, something like that. Anyway, we were in Devon over the Easter holidays, and uh, we were spending some time with my family, and Chuck and I and the kids, and then my parents, and then my brother and his wife and his children. We spent four days in um, a caravan park where there was loads of stuff to do at this caravan park. And uh, we were staying in these mobile homes. And I tell you what, staying in a mobile home is a revelation when you have carpets, you have central heating, and you have double glazing. I mean, what a treat. What a treat. It was and you're in England, which, you know, it's much warmer. Anyway, so... <laughs> So we were staying in these mobile homes, and we were right on the cliff. We had the best view of the park. We had the view of the beach, the view of the sea. It was stunning. And then one night, an almighty storm came. Unbelievable storm. The wind was absolutely blowing a gale. The, the um, rain was crashing down. Then it turned to hailstones, and the caravan... The uh, static caravan was rocking, and not in a good way, let me tell you. And, uh, <laughs> not in a good way. <laughs> that got Chuck's attention. <laughs> and I, wa I was really concerned. I was, like, really in fear. I was thinking, I could hear the sea, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, we are just going to fall off the edge of the cliff. Like, the, the pounding of this storm, the lightning, it was unbelievable. And I was thinking, do you know what? Any minute now, we're going to get a knock on the door, and we're going to be told to evacuate. That's what's going to happen. So in my head, as I'm lying in bed, I'm thinking, okay, what are the things that I need to grab as we evacuate? This is how I think. So I'm like, well, you know, where, am, where are the, my, the things I need? So where's my phone and my purse and all of that? Where have I left them in the caravan? Of course, I would take my children and my husband as well. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but seriously, there I am, lying in a nice, cozy, warm bed, absolutely petrified. And here are the disciples. And they are out in the middle of this storm, in the pitch black, with the waves crashing, the wind howling. They are terrified. And then Jesus, he comes to them and he says, do not be afraid. Take courage. It is I. And I absolutely, I love Jesus' response. It gets me every time. I just think it's absolutely wild. Verse 28, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to the, onto the water. What an 
absolutely mind-blowing response. I just imagine Peter, and he's trying to stand up on the boat, and he's, and he's kind of trying to keep his balance as the boat is tipping and tilting, and the wind and the waves, and he's shouting to Jesus, who's over there, and he's shouting to him, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come, and I'll walk on the water. You see, this is not Peter doubting Jesus. This is not Peter needing to do an identity check. This is Peter's statement of faith to Jesus. If it's you, tell me to come and I'll come. I love it. I love it. And Jesus responds to Peter with just one word. Come. Come. And in that moment, Peter understands the power of that one word, come. Because it was that one word that had turned Peter's life upside down and inside out. It was that one word that had completely transformed his entire life. It was that one word all that time ago when he was on a beach casting a net into the sea when Jesus walked by and he said, Simon Peter, come. Come, follow me. Point number two, regardless of the situation, be a people who always come when he calls. Even when you're in the middle of a storm or your situation just seems too impossible or your failures appear to be too big or your sin too heavy, or your shame too burdensome, or your sense of worthlessness too consuming, or your pain too much, be a people who respond to the call of God. You see, Peter, he could have looked around at his circumstances, and full of fear, he could have said, well, there's a storm, and it's too big. The storm is just too big. You know, I'm a fisherman. I know these things. I know that if I get out of this boat, uh, I, it's not, it's not going to bode well for me. I know that the storm is too big. He could say the situation is too impossible. He could say, I am just a man. There's no way I can do this. I can't walk on water. I absolutely know I can't walk on water. In fact, what will happen is I will drown. I'm going to drown. You see, this is a word for us, church. So often we want God to come and we want him to fix our problems instantly. We want him to come and we want him to stop the storm of our lives. We want him to quieten the waves. We want him to stop the wind and the rain. And when it's calm and when it's peaceful and then, we'll, and then when he calls us, then we'll come to him. But what happens here in the middle of the crashing waves the wind howling, Jesus has a word for Peter. And Jesus has the same word for us as well. You see, he wants to take us deeper. He wants to reveal more of himself to us. He wants us to follow in faith, no matter how big our storm is. And so in faith, in the middle of this storm, Peter chooses to obey the command of Jesus who says, simply come. 
there have been many moments in my life where I have heard the call of God to come. Sometimes the whisper and sometimes a very loud voice. When I was six, I heard the whisper of God, the call of him beckoning me to come to him, and I gave my life to Jesus when I was six. When I was 12, I, uh, I relapsed. I'm sorry, I was 15, actually. I relapsed with a kidney condition that I'd been diagnosed with when I was two and a half. I was seriously unwell. Uh, till about 12, where I was told that I'd outgrown the disease and everything was fine. And then in the middle of my mock GCSEs, I relapsed pretty hard, pretty fast, and I ended up in hospital. And because of my condition, uh, because of uh, the illness, I was on a huge amount of steroids, and I also contained water. So much water, in fact, I contained three times uh, my body weight in water. So much so that you could not see the bridge of my nose. I looked like an alien. And my teenage friends did not know what to do. They could not relate to me. I looked freaky. I was in this awful situation. And so they stopped coming around. They stopped visiting. They stopped being friends. And it took me about a year and a half of hearing the call, the beckoning of the Lord, the whisper to come to him. Come to him with my pain. Come to him with my identity. Come to him with my sense of bereavement and loneliness. Come to him with my anger. And to start to hand him those things. And Jesus started to free me. He started to heal me. He started to speak truth where there had been lies. And then there was the call to come and to leave City Church. And that was a shock, I can tell you. Wasn't expecting that call. Now Catley's singing. And then there was a call to feed his sheep. And uh, I did not want to feed the sheep. Uh, I did not want to preach. And for years and years, the call of God was just constantly asking me to feed his sheep. And so I ignored it. And then when I couldn't ignore it anymore, I ran away from it. And when I couldn't run away from it anymore, I hid from it. And the call just got louder. And over the years, the call just got louder and louder and louder. And I remember one day, very vividly, taking washing from downstairs up to my children's bedrooms. And I was going up the stairs. And every step that I took, all I could hear was, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And it got louder and louder and louder. And I did not want to feed the sheep. I did not want to do it. I said to the Lord, I will do anything else but feed the sheep. I love the sheep, but I don't want to feed the sheep. I don't want to feed the sheep. I don't want to. I clean toilets, but I'd prefer to do that. And the Lord just kept saying to me, so in the end, I held my hand up and I said, okay, okay. And I realized that there was a whole bunch of fear in me, a whole bunch of stuff in me that I needed to deal with. And so I had ministry, lots of um, ministry on fear of failure, insecurities, lies that needed to be broken. It's still a battle. It's absolutely not my favorite thing, I have to say. But you know what? The remedy for fear 
is faith. The antidote to ignoring, running, hiding from the call of God to come is obedience. It's obedience. It's that one foot in front of the other obedience. It's that in season and out of season obedience. It's when you don't feel like it, when you don't want to do it, when you would rather say no, when you are saying no, when you say, I can't, I won't, please don't make me, and yet you still do it. That is obedience. When Jesus calls you to come, obey him. When he commands you to come, obey him. When he whispers for you to come, obey him. And when he shouts for you to come, flipping obey him. No, or obey him all the time. You see, Jesus, he told Peter to come to him. He told him to come to him on the water, even though it made absolutely no sense. Peter did what Jesus said. He did what Jesus said. Come, Jesus calls to Peter. Verse 29, then Peter got down out of the boat He walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Point number three, be a people who always leave faith-filled footprints all across this nation. Vineyard, I'm going to move this by a bit. When the call to come is given, don't stay in the boat. Don't stay in the boat. Always be a people who get out of the boat. Always be a people who dare to do what seems to be impossible. Always be a people who allow ourselves to step into the waves of the Holy Spirit. You see, if we, the church, are to significantly advance the gospel of the kingdom of God throughout our nation of Scotland, which, by the way, is so desperately, desperately needing it, Our nation is dying. Our nation is in need, desperate and desperate need of Jesus. Then when Jesus calls us, we need to step out. We have to step out. We must get out of the boat, even when we're in the midst of a storm. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, this is Peter, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And there is this word in this verse here that I find incredibly intriguing. And it's the word beginning. Has anyone ever seen anyone beginning to sink in water before? So we've got three kids. And our, uh, our eldest kid, Kaya, he's about to turn 16, but uh, he was four at the time. We were in France on holiday, and Kaya went off with my dad to go fishing. And they were standing at the lake, and my dad was doing whatever you do with a fishing reel and whatever. Uh, but I, I'm not a fisherman. And Kaya was next to him. And my dad explained the story. One minute Kaya was there, and the next minute Kaya just took one step one step into the lake. And one minute Kai was there, the next minute Kai had disappeared under the water, completely gone. And my dad is like trying to grab Kai as he pulls him up, coughing and splattering. And Kai comes back to the caravan, he's soaking wet. And I said to Kai, Kai, what on earth has happened to you? And he said, I sunk. I sunk. 
I sung, can you see that still something miraculous is happening to Peter? Peter, he does not sink. You see, he's beginning to sink. Who begins to sink? Who begins to sink? You see, even though Peter, he's taken his eyes off Jesus, even though he's aware of his surroundings, even though he's suddenly fearful of what is happening, he does not sink, people. He doesn't sink. You see, has anyone ever seen anyone begin to sink? No, we haven't. Because what happens is, one minute we're there, the next minute we're under the water. We go kaplunk, don't we? We're there, we're gone. We're under. No one has seen anyone beginning to sink. And the truth is that God will never leave us to go kaplunk. He will never leave us to plunge to the very depths of the ocean. He didn't with Peter. And he won't do it with us either. You see, he is always, always there. He's always right next to us. Whether we feel him or not, he is always right next to us. And notice the second that Peter cries out, immediately Jesus is there. Jesus catches him. And Jesus, he does that for us too. He does it for us too. The second we cry out to him, he's got us. He holds on to us. You see, stepping out the boat, is stepping into the realm of the supernatural. It's stepping into the realm of God. It's trusting that God will underpin us. It's trusting that Jesus will hold us up. Church, the the Lord is looking for many, many more Peters. Scotland needs many, many Peters. And nation needs more and more Peters, men and women who will step out in confidence, not because of who we are, but because of what he is going to do. So can we, can we have a, like, make a little deal here in this room tonight? Can we try and stop being so quick to say things like, we can't do that, I can't do that, that's impossible, It's too expensive, it's too far, it's too outrageous, it's too overall impossible for us to do. Do you think do you think we could we could say, I could give that a go. I could give that a go. Because you know what? The call on us is to live a life where we can't walk where he wants us to walk unless he's holding us up. That's the call. Don't observe others doing it. Lead others to do it. Lead others to do it. If we stumble, if we fall, if we begin to sink, which we will, Jesus, he will hold us up. He will catch us. So Jesus, he catches Peter. And there they are, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm, with the wind and the rain, and the waves all crashing around them. And Jesus is holding Peter up and he turns to Peter and he asks Peter a question. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And Peter doesn't answer him. And I was pondering and I was wondering, why didn't Peter 
answer Jesus. And maybe it's because it's really difficult to have an answer when you've just been walking on water with Jesus. Why don't we stand?